Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I love this intro. I feel like the Beastie Boys are directing me to lead into this. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management. The number is 866-391-1020. This show is an opportunity uh, for you to get some insights on whatever you're encountering in your daily life. might have some struggles with family. You might have some miscommunications occurring and wonder. Maybe you have some someone you need to confront. Maybe you need to be a little bit more assertive, and you're wondering, how do I be assertive? Well, this is the place to talk about it. 866-391-1020 is the number. Here's a text uh, from Ithaca. And it says, throughout my entire childhood, my mom hasn't been a part of it, and now I am 22 years old, and she is trying to be a part of my life. I'm pretty angry because during my adolescent years are years that I needed her most, and she wasn't there. I do not want to hold any regrets, but at the same time, I'm angry at the way she behaved almost all my life. Now that I'm graduating from Cornell and exciting things are happening to me, she wants to be in the spotlight. What should I do? How do I act towards her? First of all, thank you for this question, this powerful question. Um, definitely my heart goes out to you because anytime your parents aren't there, a parent isn't there for you, it's difficult. It's so, it's, it's something that people really, there's no real way to explain it. There's no real way to understand it. We each go through our own, um, situations. I, I definitely did not even come from a situation like that, so I wouldn't ever purport to know that. But even if I did, I still couldn't know your situation. So my heart goes out to you for sure. Obviously, you're highly successful because you're graduating from Cornell, which is phenomenal. Um, but here's the question though. What do you do? Do you, you know, this now the, your mom wants to be involved. Your mom wants to be, oh, look at me. I'm, I, I helped get you here. And that that's kind of ego stuff, and you know that's ego, and she's coming at you from a place of ego. The challenge we have here is this. There's a difference between being enmeshed, emotionally enmeshed with someone, and here's what I mean by emotional enmeshment. Let's say if you're emotionally enmeshed with someone, if they say something that triggers you, my goodness, you can be very reactive. Someone can get to you. And and you can even distance yourself from someone from a long period of time. But when they're around you, if they're triggering you, then you're probably enmeshed in some way with them. And, of course, it's perfectly natural to be somewhat enmeshed with family members, even if they're absent, um, because these are people who are supposed to be there for us and are supposed to be guiding us. So in the the goal when I talk about enmeshment is to become differentiated, to become your own person. And as you strive to become your own person, and this is something for all of us, as we strive to become our own person, to be differentiated is to be able to connect with others, but still 100% be taking care of yourself. So in other words, if you could picture two circles that are um, crossing and interlocked, that's enmeshed. But you take those two circles and you separate them out, that would be differentiated. In other words, these two circles that aren't touching, 
they can interact, but they don't have to get involved. They can, they can be there close to each other at times and then they can go their own way, but they're their own person. So the goal is to become your own person. It sounds like you've done that. You've become extremely successful to uh, go to a university like that had to take so much, uh, to graduate that had to take so much. Uh, the work ethic is phenomenal. Um, but now the question is, how do you relate? So how much do you allow someone to be involved and not involved? I think you're going to have to find that balance. But I think my advice or my thoughts on it are this. If when she comes back in or attends this or it calls for that, if you hold her at bay, then let's say you say, no, don't come whatsoever. Well, you may be fine with that, and that's fine. You may not—I I, I don't know that you'll regret that. But the challenge you'll find is this: if you let her in, and then you allow her to take over as though she has been involved, that's part where you're going to really feel bad. You're going to say, "Why didn't I say something? Why didn't I assert myself and say something?" So, being able to be around her but not be reactive to her is the goal. To be differentiated, to say, "Okay." Uh, definitely appreciate having you there. I appreciate the support. Um, but not let her sweep in and take it over. Kind of say, appreciate having you here, but this is, oh my, this is the arm's length. I think that it's wonderful if she wants to reconnect in a genuine way. That could be a beautiful thing. And I have no idea if it would be genuine or not. But if it's not genuine, then you would basically be setting yourself up to be hurt more. So if someone connects with us, for a superficial reason, well, that's a house that's not built on a sturdy foundation, and so you know what's going to happen there. And the reason why that's important to highlight is this. If as long as we align our expectations with reality, then we know what we're getting into. It was a viper, dangerous poisonous snake. He was being crushed under a tire on the side of the road. So this guy was walking by, and this viper said to him, hey, man, Get me out of here. Help me out. That's my viper voice. Get me out of here. And the man looked at him. He said, you're a viper. I can't save you. You're poisonous. You'll kill me. And the viper said, no, I promise. I will not. I promise I won't hurt you. So the man says, all right. So he takes the tire off and he picks the snake up and the snake, he bites him, gives him a deadly bite. And as the man's dying, he says, I thought you weren't going to bite me. The snake said, I'm a snake. It's what I do. (laughs) I bite. See, sometimes when we understand that snakes are snakes, we're more prepared to handle them. It doesn't mean that we have to judge them. It just means that we have to know what we're getting into. And if she comes back in and swoops up and takes over, you're probably going to feel, I don't know if I, maybe icky is the wrong word, but some some sense of icky, like, wait a minute, why are you just taking over? And then not only that, you're going to feel the sense of, why didn't I see this coming? So my... Best and strongest advice is to at least align your expectations with the reality of what is coming your way, who is coming your way, how this person is coming your way. Because the more you can recognize, okay, if this is really about you sweeping in and and, and getting this credit or that credit, um, I don't I don't feel comfortable with that. It doesn't sound like you feel comfortable with that. And if you don't then it's okay to say, listen, I I appreciate your interest in what I'm doing right now. I I appreciate the fact that you're here supporting me with this. um, And thank you so much. But then now you just kind of move into the direction of wherever you want to go with that, with who you want to thank or what you want to do or who you want to spend your time with. More importantly, it's not easy. My heart goes out to you. That's not easy at all. I've seen this a lot where 
we strive no matter what. People will strive no matter what for a parent's love, no matter what parents do. Even when children are abused when they're young, they'll be resilient. They'll bounce back. They'll say, I, I, I want to be in this relationship because we want so badly to be near our parents. That's why I believe it is so important for all of us out there, all of us out here in the world who are parents, for us to hold that job with such honor because it is, it's so impactful that you can see a a phenomenally successful young person is dealing with this at 22 years old because of this kind of pain and it's there. So as parents, it's important for us to continue to contribute the kind of content to the universe that we want to be in it. Yeah, my heart goes out to you, but also I want to say congratulations because that's no small feat to graduate from Cornell. That's fantastic. I love it. You should be so, so proud. That's that's true resilience to be bounced back and get through everything that you got through without having your mom there when you needed her most. So my heart goes out to you. Set firm boundaries. The more firm boundaries you set, the more clear they are, the better you're going to feel. Align your expectations with the reality of what you're going to encounter, and you're going to be more prepared for it. we got a whole lot more coming up next. 866-391-1020, Emotional Management on KDK Radio. Welcome back to Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. 866-391-1020 is the number. If you're alive, you've got issues. If you've got issues and you're anywhere near a phone, 866-391-1020 is the number. Feel free to give me a call. We can talk about it. Um, and you can also text. And here's a text right here. Dr. Conti, I have a very bright eight-year-old daughter. She plays soccer and does well on all of her tests in school. However... I'm noticing that she is starting to develop some significant anxiety. Though she does well on tests, she is starting to hyper-focus on the possibility of missing questions and the what-ifs that could happen. She is also getting very anxious about her performance in soccer. I know she's only eight years old, but my husband and I are trying to teach her a strong work ethic. Life is very competitive, and I don't want her to get behind But I also don't want her to become so anxious that it's impeding her to enjoy life. How can I raise a child with a strong work ethic without creating an anxious child? Please help. Um, Wow, what a powerful question and what a just conscious, what a conscious question because you're, you're right. You're definitely right that the world is a world that is going to take work ethic to succeed in for sure. But there's a balance because it absolutely can lead to anxiety. I can tell you one thing. You're a step ahead and you're a step ahead because at least you're recognizing that there are two sides to that. So teaching work ethic, wonderful, phenomenal, it's worth doing. Uh, The other side of that is there comes anxiety. And I think as parents, here's the deal. We like to think, we're going to control the extraneous variables. In other words, I'm going to teach you to work really hard. And with that comes a sense of, wait a minute, am I doing my best? And when you're asking yourself, am I doing my best? Well, we, we know our intentions and sometimes our intentions don't match up with our physical or mental abilities. And when they don't, we feel like we fall short, which creates anxiety. Why am I not doing this? I remember when I was a little kid, my dad and I would throw 
whatever season it was, throw baseball, we'd throw baseball. If we threw football, we threw football. But we were throwing baseball one time. I was I was little kid. It was an early memory, and I wanted to throw it as hard as I could. Well, of course, being a little kid, you watch major leaguers, and you see how hard they throw the ball. So when I threw it to my dad, I thought, well, that's not as hard as I can throw it. And I remember kept saying to him, wait, wait, let me do it this time. This time is going to be my hardest. <laughs> and I threw it, and it wasn't very hard. Wait a minute. This time is going to be my hard. There must be something wrong, because there's a disconnect between what I'm seeing myself be able to do and what I'm actually doing, which creates a sense of anxiety. This isn't wrong or bad. This isn't about um, something that's not right in parenting. What it's about is actually conscious parenting and talking about that. Yes, there is a balance. So my number one advice to you, and I'm so sorry there's not a name on this, but my num- my number one advice to you is to talk about what that anxiety is. It's really okay to have that discussion and say, look, because here's the deal. When it comes to performance, there is having no anxiety is actually not good for you. Having too much anxiety is not good for you, but performance, the best performances occur under something called optimal level anxiety. Optimal level anxiety is that balance of saying, look, I've got a fire. I care. I want to do well on this. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to do well, but what a beautiful opportunity, especially with a young eight-year-old to talk about self-talk. See, when you really break down that self-talk and you think, well, what is she saying to herself? I'm no good because I messed up on this test. Because, see, this is the big difference. If we're able to tell her, look, you are phenomenal in and of yourself, just breathing, you're phenomenal. I say this to my daughter all the time, like, I'm proud of you for breathing. Like, I love you for breathing. You never have to do anything but breathe for me to love you. I still am going to teach you about work ethic. So I I really identify with this te- this text because I am going to teach work ethic. But I also want to teach self-talk. I want to talk about what is that what does it mean to have that anxiety? It's not wrong and bad. It's nothing to be like a monster. Let's just understand what it is. And when we break down that self-talk, like hey, what are you saying to yourself, honey? Tell me what you're saying to yourself. I should have scored that goal. Okay, now we know we can break that down. I should have Remember, we talked about this last week, about the difference between that cartoon world of shoulds, this is what should be happening in life, and then the real world of what's actually happening. And as long as we align our expectations with that cartoon world, this is what should happen, this is what should have happened, then we're going to be let down. But the truth is, the real world is what it is, so this is what happened, now how do I handle it? And so we can talk to ourselves about accomplishments, about performance, Okay, listen, I would have liked to have done this. So when I, this, these three questions, I want to invite you to teach your daughter these three questions. Because these three questions, I think, have provided me a key for 20 years of my professional career. There's never been a class I've taught or a speech I've given or a radio show I've done or a podcast or anything where I haven't walked away and asked myself these three questions. I asked myself consistently, what did I do well? What did I do not as effectively, and what could I do more effectively next time? So what did I do effectively, what did I do ineffectively, and what could I do more effectively next time? And by asking myself these three questions, I consistently look at the performance as separate than who I am. My essence is not my performance. If I don't uh, 
do as well in a speech. That doesn't make me less of a person. It means I would like to figure out what I performed in what, what way and then improve that. The challenge is this. It kind of comes back to this concept of should we just give trophies to everyone? And I say, no, we don't need to just give trophies to everyone because that's not life. And actually, kids kind of figure that out anyway. If everybody gets a trophy, they say, wait a minute, we were keeping score and we did win or whatever. So that that doesn't work. But it's not about giving trophies to anyone. It's about teaching our children that they matter, that they are important, that their worth transcends their performance. So if someone's a faster runner than you, that doesn't make them a better person. It doesn't make them better at anything else. It just means they're faster in the race you just ran. And because we know the nature of sports, it's very possible that you could win that race the next day. That person could trip or something, anything. So it's important to teach your daughter, I believe, to separate herself from her performance. Definitely put right effort into what she's doing because she's going to feel good putting effort in. You see, this is one of the things that I think is so important to talk about with our children. Children, they're not going to feel good if they don't put an effort in. You know this. When you don't put an effort into something in life and then you don't get results, you don't feel good. So what do you need to do? Put effort in. That doesn't mean you're wrong and bad. It doesn't mean you're a terrible person. It it, it means you didn't put the effort in to what you wanted to put it in at the level you wanted to. Um, Ray Lewis, uh, Baltimore Ravens uh, linebacker, Hall of Famer, he had a quote. He said, effort is between you and you. Effort is between you and you. So you're the only one who knows especially because you can see your intentions, if you put the right effort into it. On a personal level, I tend to ask uh, my daughter, did you put the effort in that you wanted to put in? Like, do you feel good about it? If she feels good about it, great. She'll be honest. If she doesn't, she'll say, I could have do this, I'll do this. It's wonderful. It's about analyzing and saying, did I put the effort in that I wanted to? If I did, then let me let go and not judge myself on this performance. So that's the piece that I would invite you to teach with your daughter. Teach her the difference that she is still worth everything. It doesn't. She's not wrong or bad if she messes up. But can she learn from it? Because we do want to teach our young people to have work ethic. We do want to teach them to strive. Look, there is a difference between saying you are enough and there's still more to do. So I use this analogy with food. You can eat the greatest meal of your life. You can be stuffed to the brim with the best food you've ever eaten in your life. And it doesn't mean that you're um, wrong or bad or ungrateful. The fact that the very next day you're going to be hungry and need to eat again. Because as long as you are alive, you're going to need to eat. As long as you're alive, there are more things to do. So, no, I don't think that we ever do enough because the next day comes and how are we going to spend that day? But I do think that we are enough. And I think it's important to teach our children, you are enough in and of yourself. But, of course, there's more to do. So be mindful to ask her about her self-talk. Find out what she's saying to herself. Think about what that picture is. And then have that conversation with her and teach her about it. Sounds like you have an awesome eight-year-old and that she's working really hard. So I certainly would want to reach in her heart and have her feel that she is a phenomenal young person working really hard. And I'm definitely sending her and and your family my best. Um, Find that balance. Talk that out. We got a whole lot more to talk out here. 866-391-1020 is the number. 
I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Welcome back. This is Emotional Management. 866-391-1020 is the number. Whatever you're dealing, maybe you're sad about something. Maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in a position. I want to say something to someone and I don't know what to say. Maybe you're sad. Maybe you're struggling with a breakup. Maybe you're wondering if you should break up. 866-391-1020 is the number. Look, we're all going through stuff. It's not, it's not easy. And I want you to be able to uh, have a chance to talk about it. 866-391-1020 is the number. So I talked about at the uh, opening about dealing with uh, some of the negativity that gets thrown your way and really being able to step back and not formulate uh, an opinion, especially such a, a strong opinion based off information that you're getting, you're getting partial information. So think about a giant box. If you're standing on one side of the box, you can't see the other side. And when you walk over to that side, you're not able to see this side. So you're inherently limited by your perspective. And the same is true when you fill your mind with stories uh, that maybe they're news stories. Maybe they're stories about celebrities. Maybe they're stories about athletes. You get a piece of it. You get a slim piece of it and then create an entire story that comes with strong judgment and what's really happening isn't even hurt it what is hurting toward the people that are going through that judgment but there's something more than that think about what it's doing to you there was a guy and he hated his enemy he hated him so badly so he went to this magician and he said to this magician listen i i hate this enemy i can't i need vengeance i need to get vengeance on him and the magician said, well, I can, I can show you two different paths that you can take. One of them, you will, you won't get revenge on your friend, but you will feel complete peace. The other path, you will get revenge on your friend or your enemy, but there's a catch. You will die before your enemy feels that revenge. And the angry man said, forget about the peace. I just want my revenge. I don't care if I have to die first. You think about that story and you think, why would anyone do that? Why would they choose dying just to know that somewhere down the road, which they'll be dead, they won't even know that they got revenge, but they'll die knowing that they were going to get revenge rather than have peace. It's a, it's a tale of a foolish person who makes a foolish decision. But when I tell these stories, I don't just make them the stories that are in a book somewhere. I tell them as as though they relate to you and me because they do. So if you're angry and you're holding on to anger and vengeance in your mind, you're arguing. How many times have you had an argument in your head? Maybe you're taking a shower and you're arguing in the shower in your mind. Oh, I'm telling this person this and I'm telling them that. Then you get out of the shower and you think, I told them. And then it hits you as you look yourself in the mirror I wasn't talking to anybody. I was actually just having an argument with myself. I mean, think about what that does to you, to your body, to your mind, to your spirit. If what you focus on is vengeance, hatred, anger, if these are the things that lead your life, I say focus on what you love, not on what you hate. But many people do focus on what they hate, and it's not enough for them, for them to hate They then want to bring others into that mix. They want others, they want to rally others to hate. I say be very mindful of people who are trying to rally you to hate. 
Because when people want to rally you to hate what they're saying is, here, I'm drinking this poison. I want you to drink it too. Oh, is it helping you? Oh, no, I'm miserable, but I want you to drink it too. Now, listen, if someone came to you and it was that clear and they simply said, look, I'm drinking this poison. It's really affecting me poorly. Will you like some too? Would you like some too? You're going to say, no, I don't want that poison. Get it out of here. But the problem is when it's psychological, you don't recognize it when it's when it's not tangible, when you can't grasp it, when you can't see that it's poison, you just keep taking it in, taking it in, taking it in. And you fill your mind with things that you really don't want in your mind. But how do you get out of it? How do you get rid of those thoughts? How do you not concentrate on that stuff? That's the question. How do you not concentrate on that stuff? Well, first, it's important to be mindful what you put into your mind. If you're familiar with my work at all, you listen to the show, you know I talk about the bucket all the time. The bucket is this. What you, If I give you a bucket, you're going to put something in it. Let's say you put flowers in your bucket. Great, now you have flowers in your bucket. Let's say you put you know, money in your bucket. Now you have money in your bucket. Whatever you put in your bucket is going to be in your bucket. And that seems so obvious, but the same is true with your mind. Whatever you put in your mind will be in your mind. So if what you're putting in your mind is anger and hate, well, you're the one who's dealing with the ramifications of that because you and you alone have unrestricted access to your internal world. So it's worth being aware of what you're putting into your mind. It's worth being aware of how you're handling that. Instead of seeking that vengeance, it's worth going inward. So we don't like we don't like hypocrites. We don't like when people do things, they say one thing but do another thing. But the truth is that we all do hypocritical things from time to time. And the qualities that we don't like about others are the qualities that we don't want to face that are in ourselves. So if you find someone who's not opening to listening and you say, well, I don't like this person. He's not open to listening, but you're not actually open to listening to his perspective or him not being open or she's really all about looks. But so maybe she focuses on her looks more than you do, or maybe you focus on coming across in a way that maybe you really don't want to focus on looks. So you do the opposite, but you're still motivated by that somehow, somewhere. Maybe he's You might not like someone because you think they're lazy, but that's the laziness you don't want to face inside. The potential for everything great and terrible rests inside all of us. The question is, what will we access? What will we tap into? So when we don't want to face something about ourselves, that's called a shadow projection. And listen to this. It's not just negative. So there are negative things. Like if we don't want to see, if someone's judgmental, well, we're quick to say, well, they're judgmental not realizing that we're judging them. That's shadow. Now, but it's not just negative. It's also positive. Sometimes we look at somebody and we say, that person's so good. That person's so wonderful because we don't want to recognize our own goodness. We don't want to recognize the wonderful things inside of us. So the shadow are those parts of us that remain undiscovered. The only way to discover them is shine light onto them, to shine light, figure it out. One of the keys to emotional management is, is to continuously look inward. So instead of looking outward, like, I need this person to make this decision and then my life will be okay, look inward and ask yourself how you're responding to it. You can't always control the things that happen to you in life, but you can always control what you do with what happens to you in life. So yeah, maybe things happen and you don't like the way they happen. The question is, what will you do with it now? If you complain about it, that's fine. That's natural. But that's 
that's the strategy is let me complain about it. Maybe, hey, listen, maybe you need to vent for a little bit. That's healthy. That's, that's kind of healthy to vent a little bit. But then the question is, when do you stop venting and start acting or doing something a little bit differently? These are things we can talk out, and I want to talk them out with you. 866-391-1020 is the number. So I'm really excited that my new book's coming out, Walking Through Anger. I think ultimately it's 20 years in the making. It took me a while to write it, but I started writing, I think, two years ago. But I'm really excited that this book is out. Um, it is available. It'll be available anywhere your favorite booksellers, but it's also available now for pre-order online. So if you go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, SoundsTrue.com, the book is called Walking Through Anger. And just the way I tell some stories here on this show, I tell tons of little Zen tales in that story and give you some hands-on practical information on how to handle others' anger and how to get insight about your own ha- anger. Because, look, we're all going to encounter conflict as long as we're alive. The question is, how do we deal with that conflict? We talk about it here on the show, but... In this book, I'm giving you my best. It's my theory. It's what I've worked on my whole career. And I'm super excited about it. Walking through anger. Hey, this is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. Welcome back. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. It's your weekly checkup from the neck up. Listen, I love answering these questions, but I'm also super happy to talk to you. If you want to talk, 866-391-1020 is the number. If you want to just listen, I really appreciate you being out there listening. I'm definitely honored that uh, I, I hear from people that listen to this show, tune in regularly, and uh, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. So thank you so much. All right, let's go to a uh, question. Here's the question. It says, I'm upset because my sister is in a marriage that I don't think is healthy for her. Her husband is extremely controlling, and I feel as if she has lost focus on her own goals in life and just agrees to whatever he thinks. She has gone as far as withdrawing from college. I want to support her, but at the same time, I don't agree with her staying in the marriage. I can't understand why she is okay with being controlled. How do I make her open to listen to me, and why don't I, and why I don't agree with her staying with him, but also conveying that I support whatever decision that she makes. I love it. This is a great question, and it's such a great question. And the answer is right there in the the bottom part of the question, and that is this. You don't like that her husband is controlling her, and your question is, how do I make her open to listen to me? Um, and so, and then, and here's the thing, and this is what I was talking about when it comes to shadow. We don't like seeing our loved ones be controlled. That's, it's just awful. It's, it's, it sucks to watch our loved ones being controlled. But if we tell them what to do, aren't we just subsuming that control? Now we're, now we're the ones who are telling her what to do. Ultimately, it's a catch 22, which is why When you have a loved one who's struggling in a relationship, who's being controlled, and I have dealt with this a ton throughout my career because in, you know, I did a center for people convicted of violent crimes and, uh, at this center, there were a lot of domestic violence. So there were a lot of times when people were in relationships that were really unhealthy and, and, and it it kept coming back to how do we, 
help this person become free so that they're not being controlled, not being abused. But here's the deal. Here's what it comes down to. If you try to tell them, then they only defend that person more. And think about that. We have a tendency to defend our position. Now, if you, uh, obviously this, uh, question comes from someone with a sibling because, uh, it's about my sister, but if you out there, if you had siblings growing up, you know that you might have had, uh, arguments and, and fights and disagreements with your siblings, but the moment someone from outside the family said something negative about your siblings, oh no, we're not going there. And all of a sudden now you're going to fight and you're going to defend them. But when it comes to the arguments between or among you and your siblings, those still happen. Okay, so when we're in a situation and, and we think, well, I don't, someone comes and says, no, you can't do this from the outside. And like it or not, when someone gets married, that's their island, that's their family. And so now coming in from the outside, even though it doesn't feel like the outside, coming in from the outside, from the, from the core position of where that person is now, they could very well shut down and defend, in this case, defend her husband being controlling, which then actually pushes her further into the relationship. And, and here's the, here's the catch. When we start telling people what to do when they're not ready to do it, it's what I would call nagging. <laughs> follow, follow me on this. So let's say she doesn't have the assertiveness to speak up to him, let alone uh, break free. And then you come along and say, I want you to break free in some form. Now she's not, she, she might resonate with that of advice. Oh yes, I, I know I need to, but now she might become defensive because I'm not ready to leave. So now if I'm not ready to leave, I can't do your advice, which makes me feel silly or stupid. And then I shut down. So again, you shut her down. The, the, the goal, the quest for you is to be a safe space for your sister. And how do you become a safe space? Well, you, you listen, you validate, you explore options. Oh, that sounds like yield theory. I think you can learn a lot about that in walking through anger available at your favorite bookstores now. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm having some fun with a plug for my book, but. How do you make yourself a safe space? You do it by not being judgmental and, and listening and really trying to see what she sees. Because the more you listen to her, the more she you can see what she's seeing. Now, when you do make a suggestion, she's more susceptible, she's more receptive to what you have to say. Really, once you make yourself a safe space, she'll probably ask for feedback. But even if Someone asks for feedback. That doesn't mean they're necessarily ready to follow through with whatever answer you give. And if you take it personally that she's not listening to you when it has nothing to do with you or anyone else in the world, that's going to help her shut down more and then curl into, you know, even recoil back into him more because even though he might be controlling, there are obviously some aspects of the relationship that are enticing to her. And that bring her some comfort, otherwise she wouldn't be there. If it was all bad, all wrong, she wouldn't be there. Um, so we need to, we need to be mindful of that. But the only way to get her to actually hear you is not to run and tell her what to do, because when you run and you tell her what to do, you're just replacing the idea of a figure who's controlling. 
See, when someone's being controlled, when someone's dependent on others and you're trying to help that person to become free, it's a catch-22 because telling them to become free and you think, well, well, no, but they're listening to me and I have their best interest in mind. No, you're just replacing them listening to one person with them listening to another person. It's like if you have a three-legged stool, you can pull out one of the legs of the stool. The stool is going to fall over. You have to have something else to replace it with. If she, if you take away something, we don't want to just get it from one dependent relationship to another. It's empowering her to be free psychologically, mentally, spiritually, physically. And in order to do that, you have to be a safe space. It's not easy. Here's the deal. We can't fix others' emotional situations. We can't fix them. We can be there for others and help them to heal themselves, but we can't fix them from the outside. In fact, it's actually only our egos that wants to fix it because we're like, look, I can fix you. I can do this. And we also, because when we see someone hurting who we love, we don't want them to hurt anymore. So we think, okay, I'll do this, this, and this, and then they won't be hurting anymore. And I wish that was the case. I wish that was reality. It's not. Reality is people will go through what they go through. But here's the deal. I was, someone was doing an interview earlier today and the person interview, interviewer asked me, um, do I break down with, um, clients? And, and, and I think I said, listen, I've in 20 years, I never cried with clients. I'm not saying I didn't cry in a car on the way home thinking about the awful things people go through. But when I was with clients, I never cried for two reasons. One, I always believed that as a counselor, I needed to be people's rock. And two, I didn't want them, because I didn't want them to think, well, I tell this to my counselor and he can't even handle it. And two, I always believed in people. I, be- I believe in people's ability to overcome. So for me, it's not about I'm going to fix you. It's me about I'm going to hold up a mirror. I'm going to be a safe space for you to feel safe enough to share with me your innermost details so that I can hold up a mirror and say, here's how you can get out of this. You know the answer. Let me help you find the way. Become a safe space your sister will then be more likely to open up, be more receptive to your advice, feedback, and love. Thank you so much for the question. I think it's a great question. There is plenty of time on this show to talk. 866-391-1020 is the number. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management. The number is 866-391-1020. If you want to be a part of the show, let's go to the phone lines. Don, you are on KDK Radio. Uh, good evening. How are you this evening? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well. Uh, Doc, I just wanted to call and say thank you. A big thank you. Um I have been suffering with uh, some issues for many, many years with uh, uh, PTSD, and because of your show and uh, the good listeners that call in with their um, bad life stories and how you've helped them through a phone call or uh, your people that come see you personally, I just wanted to say you love your show. Uh, it's I listen to it every Monday. I look forward to it, and Man, because that's of awesome. you and your listeners, pardon me? That's awesome. I appreciate that so much. But I just wanted to say thank you very much. Keep up the great work, and I'd like to see two nights a week. <laughs> oh, man, thanks, brother. I appreciate you. I, I really That means a lot to me, so thank you so much for that. Okay, you have a great night, and I'm sure there are people uh, that you can help are just waiting to get on there. So thank you very much. All right, thank you, Don. Thank you so much. 
So that's awesome. That's such a beautiful way to um, share light and good energy. So when I opened up the show talking about you create ad content to the to the universal content, you add content to what exists in the universe today. Don just added some awesome content. That painting, that part that he's painting is beautiful, and I appreciate that so much. You know, Don mentioned PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And many people suffer with PTSD. And here's the deal with what the reason why I really want people who are struggling with this. This is information I really want you to understand. Look, if you, you know, you you sprain your ankle, you can see I have a, a sprained ankle. It swells up. You see it. And there's no shame in that. Right. Look, look, you can see my ankle swelled up. You can see I'm limping. You can see it hurts. And so there's there's kind of a. There's no stigma around it. It's just like, hey, look, my ankle hurts. But when people struggle with PTSD, the reality is it is just as physical as what happens to the swollen ankle. It just happens neurologically, chemically in your brain. And you think, well, wait a minute. Maybe I I, I shouldn't be feeling like this. Maybe I, I shouldn't be having this experience. Same kind of thing with a concussion. We can't overtly see it but we understand it impacts the brain and so when someone's struggling with a concussion a lot of times we can't tell that really loud noise is impacting them but it is and when someone's struggling with ptsd what i want them to know anyone out there who's struggling with it first of all i made a video on youtube about ptsd if you haven't seen my youtube channel yet go to youtube.com and just type in dr christian conti I have a bunch of videos. One of them is on PTSD. I actually made it because there was a, a man who was critically injured in a suicide bombing in Pakistan. He wrote in that he was um, impacted by a video I made on anxiety, and he said, would you make one on PTSD? I was really touched and moved by it, so I made a video uh, for him on PTSD and for everybody who's struggling with it. We have so many veterans out there. We have so many police officers. We have so many corrections officers out there. We have so many people who have gone through so much and they are struggling with PTSD. So many people who have been uh, victims of trauma when they were young, right? And we see it all the time. Young, you know, with children, when they're struggling with PTSD, you know, there was a proliferation in the late 80s, early 90s of uh, children being diagnosed with ADHD, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. And what they found was that the symptoms that were associated with trauma paralleled many of the symptoms associated with attention deficit disorder. So there was this proliferation of diagnoses, but then when there were a more clear understanding came into they started to really assess, wait a minute, are these children struggling because they went through trauma? So one of the main things to understand about PTSD is that, yes, it is real. Yes, it is impacts your brain. And what I want people to understand most about it is how to st- almost step outside and become the observer. In other words, when you're experiencing something, it's so important to remember I call it essential wisdom. I call it essential wisdom in my new book. Did I mention that? Walking Through Anger. That's out now. Um, but I call it essential wisdom. It's in a workbook I wrote, too, called Mastering What You Practice. And that is, there is a beginning, middle, and end to every emotional experience you have. And once we really, 
truly understand that. We understand that our emotions, they're going to come and go, but our actions can't be undone. If we can become the observer and when we start to feel anxious, when we start to feel that, which is really what happens a lot of times with post-traumatic stress, we feel anxiety and then it can be associated or triggered in many different ways, sometimes so subconsciously we think, wait, that had no association with the trauma I experienced. For example, um, let's say there was a, a soldier coming back from war who experienced, you know, bombs being, seeing bombs go off. So that loud noise, it could be a loud noise that maybe has nothing to do with anything negative. You know, you could be at a children's party and there could be a, a, a loud, a playful noise go off and you think, well, that couldn't have triggered anything. So it must not be anything to do with that, but it does. There are parallels and, and being able to become the observer and say, okay, wait a minute. Instead of reacting to what's inside of me, I want to become the observer and I want to respond, not react. I want to respond and say, okay, wait a minute. Is this really happening? Let me come back to the present moment. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. See, when we don't feel safe, we go into protection mode. How do I protect myself? That means lashing out sometimes. That means fight, flee, or freeze. Those are kind of the options there from the fight or flight response. Fight, fight, or fight, flight, or freeze. So you're going to fight someone. You're going to run away. You're going to just be frozen. And when you can start to understand that, you can step outside of yourself, become the observer, and say, I don't want to... Say that I'm unsafe if I'm not. So part of it is starting to associate safety with where you are in your life right now, which means literally repeating the phrase, I'm safe, I'm safe, consciously a lot to yourself throughout the day when you are physically safe. Now, here's the number one thing I see people say. They say, well, if I practice that, then will I lose my edge, my instinct to react. And the answer is irrefutably, profoundly no. You will still have your, your instinct. You'll still have your ability to react. But what you'll do is you won't have to hover at a higher stress level all throughout the day. Because by associating I'm safe with your constant internal dialogue, what happens is you, you convince your brain that you are in fact safe, which if you're not in danger, you are. Great question. Dawn, I appreciate your call. I love that kindness. A lot of times we don't see the ripple effect of the positive energy we spread to the world. But Dawn, you spread some positive energy and I'll take it. Uh, we are all responsible for the content we are giving to the universe. The question is, what will you give to the universe today, tomorrow, every day? We need each other. We need your light. 866-391-1020 is a number. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. So I love the music cues when I come back into the show. I find I have zero musical talent and I'm never slick enough to really kind of lead into and just I'm going to find the right vibe right when I'm coming into the show. But I'm so grateful that you're here with us tonight. Um, there's an opportunity to talk if you want to talk 866-391-1020. So if you're struggling with something and you say, man, I'd just like to get this guy's insight, you can make up a name. If you feel like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to talk on the radio. Um, 
a lot of times you're thinking people are going to know who you are and they really might not. Um, and it's just being able to make up a name and say, I want to just figure out what it is. I want to figure out what this issue is, but I want to come to, uh, this email because, uh, this email is, is, is powerful and I want, I want to talk about it. So it's, here's the question. Uh, it says, why does it seem that everyone around me just wants to set me off? I've been out of work for three months now. I just turned 60 and my wife and I are struggling financially to stay afloat. I'm doing everything possible to get back on track, but nothing seems to be working. The other day, my grandchildren were here and my youngest grandson, four, started hitting his sister, eight, on the back with his fist hard. And I snapped and paddled him on the butt open-handed. I've never done that, and I feel ashamed at what I did. But it set off a chain reaction with my wife and daughter. I don't know what's happening to me, uh, but I don't like who I am right now. So let me say this to you first. You're 60 years old. You've been out of work for three months now. You have financial struggles, and it makes sense that you would be more on edge right now with financial struggles. I think a lot of people don't understand the reality that when you're wondering, how am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to be able to contribute? Uh, that creates a tremendous amount of stress, tremendous amount of stress. So my heart goes out to you. I'd say be easy on yourself in terms of that. There's nothing that you wrote in this email. Now, I'll talk about the parenting aspect or the discipline aspect. I think there's a maybe a more effective way to handle that, but I, do, I definitely want to say that although that's not my choice um, to 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 spank like that, th- it is actually legal to open hand paddle someone in the butt. Um, but here's the deal. I can't tell from an email how hard that's, that spanking was. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's that aspect is minimized at all. Um, or if it's accurate, if it's accurate and it was, it's one thing to correct someone, um, and give them a, a smack on the butt. It's another thing to be out of control and come at children. That's why my four C's of parenting does not involve spanking. It doesn't even involve yelling, but you actually get more effective results. And, uh, my four C's of parenting are choices, consequences, consistency, and compassion. In other words, teaching children, look, you have a choice. If you choose to hit your sister, here's the consequence. You will not watch um, a television um, today uh, at four years old. That's all you need to do. One day is plenty. So, or, you know, ch- your sister is not for hitting. If you choose to hit her, you will not watch television today. And then, boom, the second he hits her, television's gone. doesn't even matter if he intended to watch television. It matters that if you, that's what you said you were going to take away, you take that away for that day. And it doesn't matter. So that's the consequence. And then consistency. It doesn't matter if uh, no matter what, you don't give in because it's one day. And then compassion. It's about teaching. You're trying to teach him not to hit his sister. That's what, that's the ultimate goal is to teach him not to hit the, his sister. What you don't want is him to not just hit his sister when you're around. See, this is why I think it's so important to follow these four C's. So while I'm throwing out plugs for my books on this show, um, I was at a book signing event the other day in Ohio for this book, Walking Through Anger, and someone came up to me and said, oh, is this your first book? I said, this is my first time at this event, but this is my seventh book. So one of the books I wrote is called Zen Parent, Zen Child, and Zen, Pen- Zen Parent, Zen Child is about 
look, if you want your children to be Zen, you've got to be Zen yourself. You have to be mindful that you're always teaching your children. And so I personally, my wife and I personally choose never to yell or hit our daughter. Um, I, it, we just never saw that as okay. So what, what I choose to do instead is say, here's a choice. Here's a consequence. I'm going to be consistent. You know, hell's going to freeze over before I give in and then compassion. I'm going to do it out of love because it discipline is absolutely it, it's crucial. We need discipline. Children need, they're begging for discipline. One of the saddest and true stories that I experienced one time, a young man, um, who I had worked with when he was a teenager, he got older, um, and he, I uh, hadn't seen him in a couple of years and he shot at his ex-girlfriend's house. Um, he, thankfully he didn't hit anyone, but he spent 10 years in state prison. But well, I remember when he first got arrested, he went to jail and I had a conversation with him, and there were tons of things that happened in that conversation, a lot of emotion, a lot of fear. You know, you're facing 10 years of your life in prison, but I'll never, ever forget the way he looked at me and said, with tears pouring down his face, there were lots of things he said, but this one thing really stood out. Um, he said, I wish my mom would have told me no sometimes, like I wish she would have disciplined me. Um, discipline is not wrong or bad in any way, shape, or form. The question is how do you discipline? How do you teach that lesson? And I think that if you can, when it comes to parenting, it's, and I'm taking a moment to teach this, not so much about what your situation is, because it sounds like you're super stressed and this was an incident and the way you described in the email, there was nothing illegal about that. What, what, what it's not ideal. And, and my hope would be that you would follow this kind of format in the future is to think, okay, what, what's my goal here? My goal is to teach this little boy something. And if I want to teach him, I have to teach him in a way that actually resonates with him so that he knows. And it's not about, and this is, this is powerful. It's not about children listening right when you're around. I've had fathers tell me all the time, well, they'll never do that around me. Okay, great. But two seconds after you walk away, they might do it when they're out with their friends. They might do it. You know, I've seen that so many times over 20 years. Yeah. Your child's going to listen in front of you because they're scared of you. But did they learn the lesson about not doing it when you're not around? I was so proud of my daughter when she told me recently she was at a friend's house and they were watching a, uh, just a, it, it was just, it wasn't innocent. It wasn't wrong or bad, but these kids were watching a preview for a scary movie. And she said, you know what? I, you know, we're all, I just chose not to look at the video because I didn't want that in my psyche. I didn't want that in my head. So she learned that lesson. What you put in your bucket will be in your bucket. I don't want this, I don't want this stuff in my psyche. So I'm just not going to look. It wasn't a big deal. It's just a small moment. But the point is I want, I was proud because she did that on her own when we weren't around. The goal is to teach children to make those, the right decisions when you're not around. That's so, so important. Choices, consequences, consistency, compassion. But coming back to that stress, and I want to validate you more around that because at 60 years old, not having work or, or, or not having had work for a bit, you have financial struggles. The key here now is to focus on not taking things out on each other. And sometimes that might be as simple as you turning to your wife and saying, I'm stressed. I'm really, I'm scared. I'm worried. I don't know if we're going to be able to afford this, keep this. And it's okay. It's okay to say, I'm scared. I don't know what, I don't have the answers here. I was speaking one time, a, a group of college football students and I, or football players. And I said, big time program. And I said to them, 
of course we have fear. It's not, there's a fear is natural. It's, it would be, it would be abnormal to not experience fear. And a young man came up to me afterward and he said, I appreciated you saying that because I feel like I've had fear, but I never want to tell anyone. So I've always said, I'm not afraid of anything. And I said, you got to be kidding me. Like I'm, 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 look at me. You can see I'm a power. If you see me in person, I'm a six foot, 250 pound bald guy with tattoos and, uh, I'm a bigger guy, but listen, there's lots of things that I'm afraid of. I'm always, I'm fearful for my uh, daughter's safety, for my wife's safety. I want for my family. Like there are things to be fearful about in this world, but it's okay to just acknowledge them and say, listen, I'm so for you worrying about this money situation, you might sit down with your wife and say, look, I'm scared because I think the more you can talk that out and figure out how you'll get along if it's worst case scenario, how you'll get along best case scenario, just talk it out, understand what you have ahead of you. The more you can play that out, the more prepared you will be for whatever comes your way. I really appreciate this email uh, and and I hope this, this feedback resonates with you. 866-391-1020 is a number. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is emotional management. Remember, jump online. You can get walking through anger. That way you're not going to have to set up in tents and wait overnight for all the people who are going to be waiting outside the bookstores on October 28th, wait until the book comes out. I want you to sit in the warmth of your home and order it from Amazon or somewhere else. Walking through anger. Hey, we got a whole lot more coming up on KDK Radio. So a uh, a guy, there was a a young woman in a town, and she had a baby, and she had a baby out of wedlock. So she didn't know what to do. She panicked. She didn't want to tell people that it was her boyfriend. She didn't want to, you know, dis- d- disclose the relationship. So she ran uh, and told uh, her parents that it was the preacher. She said it's the preacher's child. So the parents went. And they stormed into the preacher's house and the baby's born and they just ripped him apart. And they said, I can't believe you did this. And he said, is that so? And so they shoved the baby into the preacher. So you say, you take care of this baby. This is your baby. You take care of him. Preacher says, is that so? And so time goes by, about a year goes by and the girl starts to feel really bad that, um, I mean, by now the preacher's uh, character, his reputation has been just dragged through the mud. He has no reputation left. People just hate him. And they can't believe that he did this. And so the girl starts to feel really bad. So she confesses to her parents. I lied. I'm so sorry. It wasn't the preacher. He never had anything to do with anything. This was my boyfriend. I was just didn't want to tell you. So the parents go back to the preacher's house and they, you know, get the child back and they say, I'm, 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 it's not your child. And, um, we're so sorry for doing this and the preacher says is that so is that so is that so he's unaffected whether or not people like him hate him whether or not people drag his name through the mud or whether or not people praise him as they did at the end saying look we're whoa you're wonderful for having done this and not telling on her and all that no listen is that so you're going to have people who try to tell you what your story is without knowing your story Is that so? You're going to, at times, believe you know the entirety of other people's story when you don't. Ask yourself, is that so? When we can really rely on the wisdom of this story, we start to get the sense 
that is maybe we're a little too quick to judge. Just as we would not want to be judged on our worst moment in life or even one small negative moment and have that amplified. We don't want judged on that, so we don't want to judge others on this. But look, the reality is that as long as you're out there, as long as you say anything, there are going to be people coming after you. They will be. It's just the way of the world. There was a guy who found this indigenous village, and he had a wonderful time there for about six months with them, so he wanted to give them a gift, so he gave them the gift of a sundial. So he gave them the sundial, and he left, and the people in the in the village didn't know what to do with it, so they built this beautiful shrine to, for this thing, and they, they covered it up in this shrine, and they put this whole you know tent thing around it. And when the guy came back to visit a few years later, they said, look, we honor this gift of yours, this sundial gift of yours. We've made it its own hut, and it's, we keep it in here. The guy said, I really appreciate that, but you're missing the point. In order for the sundial to do its job, it's got to be out in the elements. It's got to be out in the elements. The same is true for you and me. If we really want to impact this world, we got to put ourselves out there. As soon as you put yourself out there, you're facing the elements. There are going to be people who cut you down. My daughter's reading uh, Lord of the Flies. I remember this book from when I was young. In Lord of the Flies, it's a story about a group of boys who are stranded on an island, and they divide up, and one of the groups divides up, and they paint their faces, and they... They do, they, they're, they're called the savages. They, they hurt the other group. They do hurt, hurtful things. And the, the idea of painting your face and, and staying behind a mask means you can be safe behind that mask. You can be safe behind anonymity. And that's the world we live in today with the internet, with people being able to lash out at others and, and, and project their worst thoughts, their worst comments without any repercussion, without any, without any consequence. And say, well, I can do and, and feel justified in the anonymity. It's the world we live in. Look, the potential for everything great and terrible is inside all of us. And if we're not mindful to pay attention to what's inside of us, and if we're not aware that we are contributing to the content of the universe every single day, then we might just feel free to say whatever we want to the world and think, well, there are no repercussions. What's it matter? What's it matter if I throw out a hateful statement on Twitter? What's it matter if I throw out a hateful statement here on this social media? Because what the heck? I'm anonymous. What if you could realize that the universe can see behind that anonymity? In other words, we're never really truly anonymous. Listen, at a minimum, even if you believe in nothing outside of you, you live with you. You know your character. You know what you're contributing to the universe. Again, you can minimize it all day long. You can justify, rationalize it, excuse it. But the reality is what you put in the world is what you're putting in the world. So be mindful of it. Be aware of it. A lot of people are going through a lot of different things that are really intense. A lot of people are struggling in deep ways. I see this pain all the time. You do too. But sometimes you see the pain, but you don't see the pain. You just see the anger. When I see the anger, I see the pain. When I see all the rage, I see the pain. People who are in a place of peace don't lash out and hurt others. If somebody's hurting you, it's because they're struggling. If you're hurting others, you're struggling. Instead of lashing out, talk it out. Figure it out. Sit down with somebody. If you can, talk to a counselor. Talk to a mental health professional, social worker, someone. Because when you talk it out, you start to see it a little differently. Every week I'm here with you. 
If you want more, please check out my YouTube channel, Dr. Christian Conti, C-O-N-T-E, or go ahead and jump online and order my new book, Walking Through Anger. I love doing this show. I appreciate people listening from different states all over, different countries. We've had people write in. I appreciate it so much. More than anything else, as always, I wish you much peace. Emotional Management on KDK Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.